Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. since I gave you a heads up that we were going to talk about tithing again. And you brought the district superintendent. I'm thrilled. What a wonderful time. Now, I have to remind you that next week is the start of Advent. Can you believe it? You'll start to see the transformation of our sanctuary as we are getting ourselves, our hearts, our homes, and this house of God ready for our annual celebration of Christmas. But before that, we've done a little interlude to talk about tithing and to take stock of who we are. And last week, I told you that tithing transforms us. Tithing does three very specific things for those who choose to fulfill that commandment. And that is, first, it requires us to have some more fiscal responsibility. It requires us to be more engaged with and aware of our own finances. You can't tithe if you don't even know what your income and your expenses are. But it also means that it cultivates us a greater awareness of what is going on in the church. We tend to follow where our money goes. And so those who tithe search out opportunities to know where the money is going and what good works the church is doing. And that awareness leads right into gratitude. Once you discover that the gifts that you give for the honor and glory of God are at work in the missions and the ministries of the church, your heart overflows with gratitude that you are a part of that holy work. And so all of those things are important reasons to tithe. But after worship last Sunday, there were plenty of people, and all during the week, who decided to have some engagement with me over that issue. I got wonderful questions and conversations which excite me. Some of the questions I got were, so how much of my tithe actually has to come to the church? And that answer is based upon your membership status. So if you're a member, you will hopefully remember that you stood before the congregation, before God and the church, and you took your membership vows, and one of them was to bring here your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And so, yes, you said, I want to be a part of this body of Christ with all that I am, and all that I have, and so the idea is that, yes, your tithe, your gifts would come here so that it would help to continue and fuel the entire work of our church. Well, if you're not a member, then lucky you. I guess it doesn't have to come here. But if you are a part of our body of Christ, whether you're actually a member or not, I hope that you too will see that there is great worth in investing in this church, this body of Christ, this family of faith that you engage with on many different levels so that you too can be part of our holy work. But I also had a conversation with somebody that was talking about, you know, I just had to do it. I, you know, I had all these reasons why I shouldn't tithe and didn't think that I could, had a family, had young kids, and finally, I just had to do it. Hence the example that I gave in children's time. Some of us are incrementalists. We are those people that want to progress toward something. And God loves you for that. Others of us are not. We're the people that need and want to jump right in. 
Now, recently, I was having a conversation with some of my friends who are also clergy, and I'm going to tell you just how amazing our conversations are, and you're going to be so jealous. We actually were sitting around one day talking about, well, how does God sound when God talks to you? Those are the kind of cool conversations we have, right? And so we were talking about that, and I'm listening to some of my colleagues, and some of them are like, oh, it's this wonderful, nurturing, encouraging voice that kind of calls to me, and it's so comforting. And then they said, well, what's your experience, Sarah? And I was like, not that. I have a very Old Testament Judaic relationship with God. God is like, what are you doing? No, over here now. And God knows that that's what I need. If God were like, here, take your time. Here's what I would love for you to get to. I'd be like, that's great. I'm going to go clean the kitchen. Good talking to you. And then later on, God would go, do you, do you remember what we were talking about? I'd be like, yeah, and maybe we'll talk more after I go make dinner. Because if God doesn't require me to do it, I'm one of the people that will find reasons never to actually incrementally go anywhere. And the fact is that as Christians, we are asked to do one of two things, to step up or jump in. And we have to figure out who we are. We have to figure out what exactly is it that God is calling from us. And you know the kind of person you are, right? You know if you're that person that really can continue to kind of go forward, or if you're the kind of person that is like, if I don't just get all in right now, it's just never going to happen. And fortunately for me, God let me know which one I was very quickly and early in my life. That I was the kind of person that God had to be like, I'm telling you right now, if you don't do this, I'm going to show you what a biblical plague feels like. That is where we are. So no, I don't get those nurturing, soft calls in my ear. I get the blaring gong of a voice going, stop this now. Focus. I told you what I wanted. Why aren't you doing it? And that's the kind of God I have. And that's great, because that kind of God gets results out of me. The nice kind of God would probably not get too many results out of me. And some of you would be like, if God were screaming at me, I would tune out and turn off. And that's fine. I will let God scream at me if you will incrementally get better. I hope that that will happen. But tithing, tithing when we think about that, for some of us, we have to actually look at how do we transform our concept of tithing. Tithing can transform us, but how do we get there? How do we get to that place? And for a lot of us, it's about trying to figure out where we start. Well, let's be practical. There are some things that you have to do in order to even start figuring out what you're going to give to the church. And the first is you have to sit down and figure out in just a month's time, and, and just look at a, one month, how much do you bring in? What is your income? You have to figure out what your income is. You certainly can't figure out a percentage or an amount to give if you don't know what you have. And then you have to figure out your expenses. And this is where it gets really real and raw for some of us, right? It's kind of scary when you start adding up your actual expenses, your utilities, your rent, your mortgage, and you start looking and it's like, my income is here, but I seem to be expending here. I'm going to have to equalize that or hopefully reverse those two numbers. And that may be what God is leading you to. God might be telling you, you know what? You can't keep this up. This is not going to end well. You need to reverse those standings. And for some of us, that's a painful process. If fiscal reality were really easy, then the church would talk about money more. But I know people in the church that would rather talk about politics than tithing, which says a lot about how we feel about money. But the fact is that we are expected to tithe. 
You'll notice in our gathering liturgy that Jesus mentions tithing, but doesn't have to go, now tithing is when you take your first 10% or your first fruits and you give that to God. The Pharisees knew what tithing was. They were tithing. But they weren't looking at the tithing as being an opportunity to be transformed. They tithe as it's a checklist. But we are being asked to invest as tithers and allowing God to transform us, transform our money, transform our giving, so that the world can be transformed by the missions and the ministries of this body of Christ. That's what we're actually asking for God to do when we choose to give to God. We're not asking for God to, like, mark that one off. I got an A for attendance today, and I got an A for giving, and now I can go forth and sin to my heart's content. That is not what we are asking for. We are asking for God to do something new and powerful in us and for us. And I had this incredibly illuminating conversation with one of our church family this past week where they said, you know, when I was looking at our giving in my household, what I discovered was if we weren't giving as much as a car payment, that really says something. If you were bold enough to sit down and do that financial review. If you were able to sit down and wouldn't, in your top three expenditures, the top three places you give your money, where does God rank? What if we expand that? Let's go even bigger to the top ten. Does God make it in your top ten? Because that will tell you where your priorities are. So let me tell you something, my siblings in Christ. You are God's number one priority. You are number one to God. God created this world. God has given us all the glorious blessings of this world. God has literally taken all of our sin and our eternal death onto God's self and set us free because we are God's priority. And God has done this since before the day of our birth, and that amazing, provenient grace that came even before us. God has done it in the justifying grace of faith in Jesus. And God continues to make us a number one priority by giving a piece of God's self to us, a piece of that Holy Spirit for the indwelling at our baptism, so that we can be perfected by that final movement of God's grace, sanctification. That is proof that you are God's number one priority that God would constantly, before your life, all during your life, and through all eternity, do everything with all divine power to ensure that if you want grace and you want to be with God, then it shall be done. You are truly God's number one priority, and no one can argue any differently. You are that precious, that sacred, that beloved, and God wants the whole world to know that God has prioritized every person. Now, now, God may not be your number one priority, but if you were to look at your finances, where does God rank and are you okay with that? Is that how you want to leave your legacy? Because at the end of the day, if we think about our legacies, if we were to go and do a report card on prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, what do you think your average would be? Anybody graduating summa cum laude? 
But here we are. We are a people who know that by coming before the Lord and by engaging together as the body of Christ, that things are not only amazing, but transformative and powerful. And we come back to get that. We come back week after week and time after time to be together because something happens when we are together that is completely different from any other time. That's why people still engage with us online because even if they can't be physically present, they want to know that they too can be a part of what God is doing here in this body of Christ. And have you ever noticed what some bodies of Christ are able to do? I have spent a lot of time up in Pennsylvania for continuing education opportunities as clergy. And one of the things I like to do is actually go and watch the Amish. They're Christians, you know. The Amish are Christians, Anabaptists in tradition. And so I like watching them. And one time I actually had the pleasure and the awe of watching them build a barn. You ever seen this? They get more accomplished in a day than I get done in like a month. And you really shouldn't say that to your DS. So this is a grace-filled moment, but it's honest. I was amazed. They came out there, and they're Christians. They are themselves a body of Christ, and they're Christians. I mean, I wish they would figure out that zippers are not the enemy. I do seriously love zippers, and I think that that would make some lives very easy if we would embrace that technology. But, you know, I watch them, and I am so amazed at what they do. They understand what they ought to do, and so they immediately go right in, and they do it right. Could you imagine if Methodists tried to replicate that? Some of us would level out the ground, and we might even lay a foundation. We'll be like, all right, that's good. See you next week. We'll come back and look at it next week. And then you come back, and you're like, let's just keep a patio. Let's just make it a patio. It'll be outdoor worship space. Because really, I don't really feel like putting up walls and studs and all that kind of That's like so much work. And it would never go anywhere. We would never build any higher. Others of you are not like that. You are an incremental person. You can get there. Step one, we're going to level the ground. We're going to lay the foundation. Step two, we're going to erect the walls. We're going to finish the walls. We're going to put on the ceiling, and then we're going to build up. We're going to keep going. And you're driven, and you will accomplish it. At the end of it, you will have a church building. And the rest of us are like, we got an outdoor patio, sort of. Because we are the people that have to jump in. We are the ones that need to go out in the deep end. And we need to jump in because if we don't jump in, we're never getting there. You ever been to one of the pools where it's graded and you can kind of like wade your way in and you got the person that comes and they put their feet in and they're like, oh my gosh, it's cold. it's cold. They're warning everybody. I'm telling you right now, it's cold. And people are like, okay. They go in and then, you know, like three hours later, they're up to their knees and they're like, it's still cold. Just letting everybody know it's still cold. And they never get in the water because it's cold. And then I love watching the bold people. They walk all the way around to the deep end and they just take the plunge. And they come up and they're like, yep, it's cold. But their body is going to acclimate faster. They're going to be ready to swim and enjoy and do what they need to do in the pool because they went deep. And they went deep because they needed to. I do love watching people incrementally go in and they just keep moving and moving and moving. And they just go in there. But how many of us are those people that are like, it's cold. Don't go in. Versus those of us that are like, you know what? I am going to practice what I preach, what I teach, and what I believe. I'm going to do it because that's what God requires of me. That's what God is asking. And in the prophetic book of Malachi, that's what God was saying. God says, 
put me to the test. Try me. And some of you are going, now wait a second, Jesus says you're not supposed to test God. That is true. There are some places we should not test God. We should not test God by saying, God, if I drive drunk, don't let me have an accident. That is a bad opportunity to test God. Don't do that. Or I'm not going to take my medication that I need to live and let's see if I live. Don't test God there. God is very clear about where you can test God. God says, if you want to test me on tithing, let's go. What does God promise? Not only does God say, put me to the test, God already tells you what will happen. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour down blessing overflowing for you. Your produce of your soil, the first fruits of your labor, are not going to be destroyed by plagues. The locusts will not eat them. Your vines will be productive. You won't have to worry about if there will be enough. Test me. And not only will you see that I will do all that I said that I would do if you were faithful, but others will see it too. The nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight. And that is true. For those of you who tithe, for those of us that have taken that plunge or incrementally worked there, whichever we needed to do, is that not so? I give almost twice as much to the federal government every year as I give to the church in my tithe. And I know what the federal government does with my money sometimes. And I'm like, "Mm." Now, granted, I don't agree with every single penny that the church has ever spent, both on the local church level or the global church level. Sometimes I'm like, I don't think I would have done that. And I could sit around and be like, I'm not giving anymore because I don't like how they spent that. But the real truth is, that because of my awareness of how it works out in the world and the transformative encounters people have, I never regret one penny of my tithe. Never. And it doesn't mean that all of it has to personally bless me either. There are small groups and Bible studies that meet at this church that I am not a foundational member of. And I love that they're here. I love hearing people be like, I love that women of faith. I love that. Hallelujah. I love that people are involved in missions and ministries that I am not. And I can truly revel in the glory that it blesses other people, blesses you, blesses those out in our community. And somewhere deep inside me, there is a small voice that is saying, you know what? You are part of making that happen. You are part of those that empower that to be. Because so often we look at great people We look at great people in the history of Christianity. We look at great people in history in general or or in the world, and we look at them and we think of them as adults. We look at them and go, that's an amazing human being. Look at what they have done. How wonderful are they? What we don't remember is that they were once children. They were once youth and young adults. And that all along the trajectory of their lives, People had to encourage them too. So that you don't just suddenly get a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You don't just suddenly give rise to the likes of Mother Teresa. And often we think about her, and you can picture her very tiny, petite, kind of bent over, and you think to yourself, that incredible outpouring of missional love It started, though, because people empowered her 
through their giving and their testimony and their witness and their care and engagement with her, to believe. Because the world was telling her, you know, women, they can't make a difference. If you really want to bless the world, then you should be having children. You should have lots and lots of Catholic babies. That would really bless the world. People were telling her, you know, Christianity is not really going to change the world. It's, it's golden age is beyond us, and we really need to start embracing new things, and this is just vestiges. Move on. But then there were others that had a close connection to her, and they were saying to her, God can be at work through you. God can do wonderful, amazing things and use you to bless other people. God can use you to really care for the orphans in Calcutta. God can use you and your faithfulness to Christ and your service in his name. God can use that to inspire not just Catholics, but Christians all over the world. Long after you're gone, your faith can inspire people. And because there were those that gave to the church, there were those that gave to her mission work, that giving empowered and emboldened her to step up and be the Mother Teresa that we needed her to be. It's the same with the likes of Desmond Tutu and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Our beloved John and Charles Wesley were once children. I know it's hard to think of that because you always see them with like the powdered wig. And you're like, that was a boy once? Yes. And fortunately for Methodism, we recognize that there was someone who played a huge role in encouraging and educating and helping to steer those two boys correctly, and that is Susanna Wesley. God loved their mother because she knew that all along their lives, they needed to have someone who was encouraging them and challenging them. And sometimes, if you're like me, you just need God to give you a good old kick in the rear. Get in there. Because if we're not stepping up or jumping in, who are we? Who are we as Christians? Malachi says there's two types of people in this world. There are the people that are trying to do what God wants, and then there are the people that are like, eh, no. And they will find excuses. They will find excuses. Malachi even named some of them. Why should I bother? Because the evil still prosper. They get off the hook. Why should I bother? What good is it for me to do what God says? God says, put me to the test. Try me and see what I do. I am giving you permission to test me, says the Lord of hosts. Try and see. And if you do try, I guarantee you, you're going to see. You're going to see the difference that it makes in you, in this body of Christ, and in the world. You're going to be shocked that your gifts can change things. So I said I'd give you a practical way, and here it is. I like to deal with concrete ideas. So here's a concrete idea. If you decided to take a step up or even just kind of wade into the depths a little bit, if you're not tithing or you're not even giving, here is what you can do. $100 a month for 12 months is $1,200. And you think to yourself, $1,200 like, wouldn't even fund a really nice vacation. That may be what you're thinking. But if 40 people, because I gave the same challenge to our contemporary worship service, if 40 people step up, that's $48,000 by the end of 2022. 
almost $50,000 can radically change a church, can radically change how a church functions. And in a church whose annual budget is half a million, that sounds awfully close to a tithe. So yes, it can change the way that we bless, the way that we are as it transforms us and how we look at the world and our opportunities to be in mission and ministry. But even beyond all that, we have the opportunity to make some real change. There are children and youth and young adults and more of us vintage adults in Crozet and in the communities where people worship with us that need to experience God's goodness and God's grace. And we have the ability to jump right in when we understand that there's a need. Respond instantly by jumping in with people who have an excitement and a call and a passion to serve Jesus Christ. Instead of going, do we have the money for that? I don't know. Let's call a meeting and see if we have the money. Could you imagine if you could immediately respond? We often look at the miracle of the feeding of the thousands as if that was just a one-time thing that just cements for some people that Jesus is the incarnation of God, right? Look who could do that. Nobody else could do that. Chick-fil-A can't even do that. We are looking at Jesus like Jesus is awesome. What if we looked at that as a call to action? Jesus turns to his disciples and said, it's getting late. These people need to eat. Feed them. And their response was what? How are we supposed to feed all these people? We don't have the food. We don't even have the money to buy the food. What if Jesus was able to say, feed them because I know you have the money. And I know you have the heart. And I know that God can do things through you. Maybe the feeding of the thousands is actually a challenge to us. It's not something that we just teach in Sunday school, fishes and loaves. Maybe it's something that reminds us that having the ability to respond is just as important as having the desire to do so. And you can be a part of that. 40 people, $100 a month. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, $100 is a lot of money. I still think $100 is a lot of money. Like if I get online and I'm like, ooh, the cart says $100, I gotta think about that overnight. So I'll let that one sit. But then what you find out is, what are you really spending $100 a month on? Right? You could spend $100 a month and not get the kind of transformation and blessing that you can get in the body of Christ. Right? What is $100 a month going to get you at Starbucks? Some people at 9 o'clock knew what that would get them. It's going to get you some gold stars. You might get like a free scone. Is that really going to change the world? You get a free scone? Is that going to teach people who feel unloved that they are actually beloved children of God of sacred worth? Is that going to really feed the hungry? I know you're starving and you're homeless, but here's a scone. It's not going to do anything. But your $100 multiplied with other $100 multiplied with those that are faithful givers and tithers in this church, we can change things. We can bless people. And we can really do something that we can't even fathom. And I'm only talking about 40 people. And the last time I set a goal, y'all blew it out of the water, so I really shouldn't be setting goals, but I picked 40 because it's a biblical number and I feel confident in 40. But I hope you prove me wrong. And that is something that people who are 
worshiping with us online and people that are worshiping here, that is something that we can do together. We can step up there. Now, some of you like me know that this stepping up thing, you know, it's, it's not for us. We really do need to jump in. And I hope that you will figure that out. Because a lot of people have a fear, right? You have a fear. You have people that need to jump in like me. Let me give you an example of me jumping in. So up until the point I was 30, I kind of wore flats all the time. Because I know, it sounds funny, doesn't it? Uh, no, I really did. I wore flats because when I was a dancer, I was always in high heel tap shoes or I was on point in ballet, and it was like, I'm just going to walk in flats. So my actualized height is actually five foot five. I looked much more petite. And what ended up happening was I was an associate pastor, but I wasn't ordained, and so I couldn't wear a stole to reflect the liturgical season. And so I used to wear brightly colored flat shoes. I had green ones and red ones, and I used to wear those so that it added a little bit of liturgical color to my outfit until I could wear the stole. And then one day I was like, you know what? I don't have any cross shoes. So I went to Google, and I was like, cross shoes. And up came these, like, eight-inch heels with, like, three-inch platforms. And I looked at them. I was like, I've never worn shoes like that before. Now, if I was an incrementalist, I'd be like, maybe we should start with some kitten heels. But I'm not that kind of person. So I was like, click, purchase. And they arrived, and let me tell you something, they're a lot taller in person than they looked on the web page. <laughs> Objects on web page look much shorter than they appear. And so the, uh, the honest thing was, I got it, and I looked at it, and I was like, all right put them on, and I've been wearing them ever since because that's who I am. I just need to jump in. And some of you have been like, oh, my gosh, my feet, my calves, my arches. Yeah, you're incrementalist. If you want to get here, we're going to have to start you with some kitten heels. And we'll start you there if that's what you need. And we will walk with you and we'll work on your balance, and pretty soon you'll be running and jumping. We'll do that. Because here's the thing about the body of Christ. Do you know what keeps people from tithing? Fear fear. I'm afraid that if I tithe, I, I won't be able to pay my bills. I'm afraid if I tithe that I won't be able to feed my children, and those are valid concerns. But we are the body of Christ, and we are not going to let you drown in the deep end. First of all, there's some of us over there that have been treading water for a while. And if you start to slip below the surface, we are going to pick you up and help you. We are not going to let you go down, and God is not going to let you go down for tithing. God is not going to let that happen. God's been promising that since the days of the prophet Malachi. I am not going to let you go. I am going to help you and bless you and pour out enough. You will have enough. Now, that doesn't mean that you can start tithing and suddenly afford a Mercedes. That is not what that means. But if you step up or jump in, with all that I am and all that I have experienced, I truly believe that not only are you going to be transformed, not only are we as this body of Christ going to be transformed, but you will not regret it. So that next year, you'll be like 200 a month. 200 a month. Because God is not a liar. God never defaults. God always delivers. And when God says, put me to the test, now is your time. Test me here. Test me in this way, says the Lord. 
and I will show you. Jesus knew that people were tithing. Jesus was like, you're neglecting the other stuff. You're neglecting the justice. You're neglecting the righteousness because you're all about just checking the box. But you can't just be all about the personal spirituality and the justice and neglect the former. Jesus expects us to be wholly invested with all that we are and all that we have. And for some of us, that is scary. I get it. I really do. But at the end of your days in this life, you're going to be able to look back and see where you have spent your income and invested your money. And you're not taking a Mercedes with you into the kingdom. You're not going to be able to take your Starbucks and transform this world. But the church can and shall do just that. And you can be a crucial part of that. So that when the day comes and the kingdom of heaven comes to us and we are resurrected in great joy and because of our belief in Jesus Christ, we are offered the opportunity, come in, my good servant. Jesus is going to look at you and say, you served with all that you are and all that you had. Thank you. But it starts here. It starts here. And you can do it. Because God said so. And I hope that you are listening. That you know who you are and you accept who you are. Because God accepts you just as you are. And is still willing to give you the nudge, the encouragement, or the kick in the rear that you need. And may it be so. For we have incredible holy work to do as this body of Christ. May it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.